Do you think that you and your partner could sell everything, pack up just a backpack each on your back and have your dog and move to another country? Well, that's exactly what my next guest did. And if you want to hear what happened and how it turned out for them, keep listening. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sally Peterson. I am the founder of a boutique consulting firm called Global Citizen Life, where we help five and six figure entrepreneurs diversify their life, reduce their taxes to zero or single digits, move to a country where they like, help them get residency, citizenships, diversify their assets, and open up bank accounts so they're never under the control of one single government. You can follow us here, so click subscribe or on our website at globalcitizenlife.com. But enough about that. Let's find out what happened with our next guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Today, we have Cliff Brown joining us. And Cliff, thank you very much for your time and joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sally. Thank you for having me. I'm glad, I'm glad to be here, and I hope I can be of service to you and the listeners. Great. Thanks. So, Cliff, let's start with telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you kind of started, a little bit of your journey, why you chose to pick the destination that you're in, what that destination is, and and how everything kind of came about for you, for your experience. Absolutely. So my experience began back in about 2011. I was living in Portland, Oregon with my partner. I was working as a bartender. I had been a bartender for a very long time, and I just decided I wanted to do something different. So fast forward four years later, I graduate from Portland State University with my degree in world languages, Spanish, and Latin American cultural studies. And I had already made my mind up at that point that I wanted to be living in Latin America, and I wanted to put my degree to use on the ground. So my partner and I had decided on Puerto Rico as it was part of the United States, an easy transition, and we were originally going to settle there. However, Hurricane Maria wiped out the island, and we went with our second destination, Mexico, and we moved from Portland, Oregon with two backpacks and a chihuahua and settled in Cozumel, Quintana Roo which is an island off the coast of Playa del Carmen and the Yucatan Peninsula. Two backpacks? That's it? That's it. We sold everything else. Everything else that we owned. We had a major yard sale or estate (laughs) sale and whatever was left was up for grabs. We kind of were looking at making a clean start Mm -hmm. anyway. And we kind of just decided... We weighed the pros and cons of bringing everything that we had with us, which wasn't very much. We're two young people living in an apartment in downtown Portland. So we really didn't want to have much burden once we arrived. Mm -hmm. So we took as little as possible, literally the essentials and, of course, our dog. 
Right. And and you're right. I mean, when you have to think about moving expenses, if there's going to be any type of import taxes or, or duties, and most times relocating, it's not if you already have residency and, and things like that. But then at the same point, it's just that time and how long is it going to take? And I'm sure for the for the most part, it's easier to to sell everything. You can buy everything there. It's it's not like you're not able to get it. So it it definitely that's makes kind it of, easy. <laughs> that's kind of what we you know we had come to the decision that it was going to be far easier to acquire things once we were in Mexico than it was going to be to try and figure out how to get them down there and at a price point that we could afford. Right. Right. And so you went to Mexico and did you already start the process for a temporary residency when you were in the United States or did you get to Mexico and then start that process? We we did not. So we did arrive in Mexico without uh, residency or permission Mm -hmm. to work. Um, Like many at that time, this would have been in the year 2016, you know, Mexico really wasn't as tough as they were on immigration at this point as they are at, at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So we went down there like a lot of folks just thinking I might be able to pick up a part-time bartending gig and we would teach English as a means of surviving on our own. Mm-hmm. However, that dream came shattering down really quickly as you realize that Mexico, it's very tough to find a job in Mexico without a work permit. And a work permit is extremely hard to secure. So what did you do? Good question. So <laughs> we actually, because you're already um, there and I'm sorry to interrupt because you're already no. there. And I'm assuming even then you, you had, you were there kind of on a, a tourist visa. So you had 90 days to, to kind of figure things out before exactly you have to right. leave again. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So we had a six month visa at that point in time. And we had a house that we had rented sight unseen from the United States, which is a mistake. Always uh, see your property before you rent it. That's always, another good piece of num- advice. Yeah, yeah. People love a fish eye lens. So the house turned out to be very small and very different than we had imagined it. And it, and it was advertised on the internet. So oh. buyer, renter beware. Renter beware. Yeah, lesson well, learned. Anyway, lesson learned. <laughs> So we happened to see an ad for a school that was hiring for English teachers, a very good institution on the island, had a great reputation. And I applied first and got the job, which came with uh, the work permit. So we were sponsored for the work permit through the language academy in which we were teaching English. Shortly after I was hired, my partner Joshua was hired and we both had work visas by the end of the first year. Oh, excellent. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. And so a few kind of bumps in the road, but nothing, you know, nothing catastrophic, which was good. A whole lot of luck and a whole lot of networking. Honestly, Mm -hmm. it was not as easy as it seems. Problem being is a lot of people think I have this skill set. I'm going to be able to find a job. No problem that will sponsor a visa. But To be able to sponsor a visa for a foreigner is a big expense and a big liability for most small businesses. Right. So finding some place that's actually going to support your visa rather than just try and pay you under the table is incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. and I'm becoming more and more so. Yes. And I'm sure now it's, it's even harder then. And 
a lot, which is understandable that it you need to be able to do a job that one of the local people can't do. Because that's exactly correct. You have to bring a skill to the table that's not taking a job away from a Mexican native. Mm-hmm. Like Mexicans can wait tables, they can be bartenders, they can, you know, but one skill we do have is Americans, Canadians, and people from England, Ireland, Scotland, obviously, is the mm-hmm. ability to speak native English. So this is one thing that surely does not pay a lot. You will be living, you will be living on a Mexican living wage, Mm -hmm. but, but you will be working legally um, if you can find a reputable business to support your work visa. Right, right. And so you were doing that. And how long did you stay with the school? Are you still there? What We we stayed with the school. Yeah, it's been a few years. So I I believe we stayed with the school for about two, two and a half years. And then we had decided, you know, I really wanted to be teaching Spanish. Spanish was my passion. So we decided at this point in time to start our own business as a small Spanish school on the island across the mountain. So I went to see lawyers in Playa del Carmen and Myself, my partner, and another American who was a co-worker of ours at the time started our own LLC, Amistad Spanish School, and we began to form a small side company, which we were able to support our visas as owners of a Mexican LLC. So therefore, the residency visas were transferred from the English school that we didn't own and which we taught underneath our own business, which we do own as a Mexican LLC. Mm-hmm. That process is quite intense and quite interesting. A lot of times people think that you have got to have a Mexican citizen if you're just a temporary resident to start your own business or LLC. That's simply not true. Okay. You have to have at least three temporary foreign residents to be able to form an LLC without a Mexican being part of it. Because there are, unfortunately, a lot of people out there who prey upon Americans and Canadians who want to start their own businesses Mm. legally, but don't have the necessary requirements to do so. Many Mexican-born citizens are happy to jump in and help. Right. And that help probably comes at quite a cost. It does. And sometimes you can even lose your business because as Mexican citizens, they have more rights towards the company than you do. You just don't realize it. And a lot of the time, if you don't speak Spanish, you can get swept away in the midst of uh, miscommunication. Right. Right. And that that's just an easy, an easy one. Even if it's not somebody outright trying to be deceitful, if they said, well, this is what I said, but there is that miscommunication, that definitely certain, can be a problem. There certainly is. And if I have one number one tip of advice, obviously, I own a Spanish school, is start learning Spanish before <laughs> you make your decision to move. Because a lot of people... You know, they feel like once I'm immersed in it, I will, I'll pick it up just like that and I'll be fluent. Way, and it only works that way for children, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. As adults, it's not quite that easy. So get on it, use whatever apps you can. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always here. We have online classes available in the USA, Canada, or Mexico. We even have some students over in Europe. So, oh, great. Yeah. 
And so how did you come up with the idea or the thought of starting a Spanish school in Mexico? Like, is there a, a very large expat community and, and you kind of saw the need for one because the expats just weren't learning Spanish or didn't really have a great way to? Exactly. So that's that was the current condition on the island. There were a few small schools that did teach Spanish, but they were nobody with actual certified instructors. These are just native speakers. And anyone knows that just because you speak a language doesn't mean that you can teach it. No, teaching is completely different. And yeah, a lot of times when you teach, you realize, because I, I do tutor some, some English online sometimes, and you really realize how a lot of English speakers don't speak properly. And, and it happens in every language. I've, I've talked to, to Spanish people. They're like, oh, when I started learning English, I realized my Spanish was so terrible. And it's because in a way we kind of become lazy. We know what we mm -hmm. mean. People know what we mean. And we don't use the exact format, shall we say, of exactly. a sentence we don't structure. Grammatically correct in our own languages, let alone <laughs> right. in Mexican Spanish. Right, exactly, exactly. So to, to answer the question, yes, Cozumel at the time had one of the largest uh, retirement communities in Quintana Roo. So we had what you could refer to as a gringo bubble. There's a certain area in which the gringos will stick to Americans and Canadians, people north of the border. Gringo is not a derogatory term in Mexican Spanish. It just refers to somebody who's not from Mexico and is from north of the border. But you get this sense that the community is mixing, but not mixing. You know, right. you can, the clear lines are drawn, you know, mm -hmm. and it was just obvious for me that there was a need for somebody who could straddle both sides of the fences and fill in the gaps because just because somebody's speaking Spanish at you during a class for an hour doesn't mean that you're going to understand the nuances between mm -hmm. the two languages. And I felt like myself having been an English speaker and gotten my degree in Spanish, I had to overcome all of these hurdles that I know English speakers struggle with because I had to do it myself. Right. So I felt like that I had a certain skill to offer that most other people teaching Spanish at the time did not. Um, and, right. and that's basically how I gathered a following. And I started with a one room office in the back of a hallway with not even a single window. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. And then a year and a half. Right before the pandemic, we had had one Spanish school and three English schools on the island. So we grew quite quickly. Our reputation was flawless. However, you know, Mother Nature had plans for a worldwide epidemic. We decided to close. We, well, we had to close all four of the schools. Right. But luckily, most of our United States uh, or, you know, United States citizens and Canadian citizens still had resources to rely on and decided to make the transition to online classes, making really the pandemic a blessing in disguise at the same time, because we were able to expand our reach mm -hmm. online, which we had never thought about doing prior. Right. So the, that's what I call those silver linings when we find exactly. some good things that happen in bad situations. Exactly. And moving to Mexico, you're going to have a lot of those moments. Right.
And so how do you feel now? Because it's, it's as it's been years since you were there and you've kind of seen that a bit of divide, but sort of together with, with the Mexican citizens and, and the expats um, who are either temporary, permanent or, or getting citizenship. With that learning Spanish, do you find they're more integrating more and there, there's being more of a, I guess, yeah, an, an integration or do you still see that there's still a fair separation? There's, well, I mean, clearly there's still a fair separation because we have so much tourism that in the mm -hmm. center, it's very hard to practice your Spanish because most people want to practice their English with you. So you get what we call a choque. <laughs> it's like a push where they, they don't they want to practice just as much as you want to practice. So I always recommend to anyone wanting to learn Spanish in any touristic area in Mexico, you got to get out of that downtown area just a few blocks up and a few blocks over and you will encounter people that don't speak English as you know most of the tourist workers do right and that's where you get your real practice in mm -hmm. but you you know we we have had so many successful students some some of them come as visitors some of them live full-time on the island I've had students that I've had for three and a half, four years that are excellent Spanish speakers and thriving on the island, completely integrated. And then you have people who just don't want to put any effort in. And, you know, you, you have mm -hmm. to respect both, I suppose, but we'd like them all to join us. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. And yeah, everybody has their own desire. And some people just want to chill out, be in a, a better climate, especially Canada. Let's mm -hmm. be honest. I'm from Canada and winter sucks. So you get I, I left winter sucks. Yeah. I hate it. Like, I don't know why anybody's there for the winter. Yeah. And I get that people have to be, and, and some people enjoy it. Some people, sure, some sure. people like the winter. It's just not my thing. And I so, agree. I agree. I'm full heart, wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just not fun for me. And so what would you say to somebody who's maybe kind of on the fence? They're thinking about moving abroad, could be specifically for Mexico or maybe even, even somewhere else like Costa Rica, something like that. And they're kind of, they hear sometimes their friends and family and it's always these negative things like they shouldn't do it, they shouldn't do it. And then on the opposite side is all the magazines, news articles and blogs that it's like, oh, everything is rainbows and butterflies and, and amazing. And, and we know it's not the extreme of, of either. Like it's, it is a bit of a combination. Exactly. So if they're kind of on the fence. It, if they're kind of on the fence, I would ask yourself this. Are you an interest person at heart? If you are not, making a big life move is going to be extremely tough. Are you set in your certain ways? Are you able to adapt and adjust easily? And if the answer is a strong no on any of these, you might find your experience very tough and very hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. Because um, one thing, you know, there are several cultural nuances in, throughout Latin America, um, like punctuality and um, efficiency and things that we're used to as Americans and Canadians that just aren't the same throughout Latin America. And I think a lot of people come in with rose-colored glasses, but mm -hmm. there is a need for research. Do as much research as you can. Look at both sides of the fence. Like you said, if you're on it, you need to know what's on both sides. Stay away from a lot of those Facebook expat groups. You can be attacked for answering 
a simple question. It's much better to do your own research on your own. There's a lot of great websites out there for moving to Mexico. I don't have any that I like, you know, that I would plug right off the top of my head. But when I was moving, I did all my own research and I tried to form all my own opinions, but we can't plan everything and we never know what's going to happen. But be prepared. It is an adventure and things are not going to go rose colored and smoothly throughout the entire transition. Mm -hmm. And that's even if you speak the language fluently, which the majority of people who choose to move to Latin America do not. Right. It's true because as you said too, with some of those things to, to do your research, And to be reading several websites, if that's what you follow, or several Mm -hmm. magazines, because everybody's experience is going to be different. And everybody's opinion of something that was, oh, it was, it was brutal. It was a nightmare. It was so hard. Somebody else might be like, yeah, there were some challenges, but you know, it took some time we pushed through. And even though it could have been the same, the exact same thing, their response to it is is different as well. Yeah. If you're a very uptight, not very flexible, and you tend to be like a very type A personality, like Mexico may not be the best place for you because we tend to be, as Americans and Canadians, quite impatient because we are used to punctuality and efficiency. Mm-hmm. So I think this is the main thing I hear from the majority of my students who make the move, that this is their major their biggest struggle beyond not being able to speak the language, obviously, is the fact that punctuality and efficiency are severely lacking in in Mexican culture and in Latin American culture in general. Right. So this is something to always keep in mind. mm -hmm. And it's funny in a way, because part of the reason why people leave, whether it's North America, the UK, Australia, and, and they relocate, lots of them say, oh, you know, it's it's so busy, it's so hectic, I want a slower pace. I, I, I like it when I've been here for a week on holidays. It's like sure. living is not the same as being a week on holidays. And for that week, you do love doing nothing and you don't care if it takes a while, but you're, you're not dealing with day-to-day stuff. And eventually it's like, okay, but then after a while it gets frustrating because you're still so used to that your whole life, however many years of punctuality, on time, everything. And it just doesn't stop in one day of moving. No, it it certainly doesn't. And it takes, it takes a strong person to adapt. Mm -hmm. And I think aside from doing your research, go and rent a place in your, in your desired location for six months and then go back home and then make your decision. Don't, which is basically what we did. We rented a place sight unseen for six months. We returned but, to the United States. But don't States. do that. We decide... Just don't do the sight unseen. Part. Don't, yeah, don't, just do, don't that. do the yeah, sight unseen. That, don't do that. Trust <laughs> you me. Know. Don't do that. that. That falls under do your research. Whatever. Right. right. Take, take a moment to realize anything that's advertised to you in dollars in English. There's a reason that's being done. That's because that's specifically targeted at expats and mm-hmm. people who clearly don't speak Spanish and don't know the rental market. Right. And they know that they're willing to pay these sorts of prices. One, one of the worst things you can do is go onto a, a rental group and just shout out your budget. Facebook, I need a place for this much. Can I find anything? You'll... That is like <laughs> one of the worst things you can absolutely do because you will absolutely find something at exactly at that, that price. price. <laughs> yes. 
um, do do your research, dig around. If you have any friends on the ground, like that mm. is always a huge resource to reach out to. If you already know somebody like who's living down there, they can connect you with people that are in their, his or her circle, their circle. These are all helpful points, I would say, but even definitely I think, don't make any split decisions. Right. Even if, if somebody doesn't know anybody, a kind of a situation where you're still going to probably end up paying a little bit more is to search for some reputable agencies that absolutely that you can at least get there if it's going to be a long term as you said three months six months or something to check it out at a minimal find a, a reputable agency so you know at least the place that you're getting is going to be in an area and and it, and they'll have photos of of what it's going to be like because then exactly. then you'll know you, you pay a little bit more Era. still but there's that there's that security it's, of it's it. worth it it's mm-hmm. worth it honestly if you do not speak spanish especially find yourself a real estate agent because there are a lot of scams out there that look very very legit Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't have any idea you know they'll have pictures of the whole property Mm -hmm. you know videos sometimes even you know Mm -hmm. and then you end up sending your monthly deposit from abroad you know and you never hear from this person. Again. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes they just vanish. And just so everybody knows it's not just Mexico. It's everywhere. Oh, because yeah. when I it's... was looking in Barcelona, because I had moved to, to Spain and at first I was looking online and, and I was looking and looking and I thought, wow, some of these are really nice. And, and at this price. And I was like, that's a bit of a red flag. And, and I, I messaged though, I messaged, you know, I'm interested in this. And I got a, an email back. And of course, oh, you have to hurry because it's so busy. It's going to be gone tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. I send your money. You do. You like, feel pressure. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, I'm like, well, if it's gone tomorrow, it's not meant to be great on whoever got the deal then. And, and I, I had messaged a couple people and I got the exact same email message response back. And I'm like, hmm, this is yeah, a scam. So- They're smarter than you think they look. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're really good at drawing your attention in. So I would agree with you. Get a a reputable real estate agent. There are plenty in all of the expat communities around Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of them, if not all of them, are bilingual or have an assistant who is, if you're worried about the language barrier. But if you're doing it on your own or even with with the whole family, that sense of security is worth the little extra money. Definitely. Definitely. And that little extra actually could save you a lot in the long run. So it may not even end up being a little extra. So exactly. And like I said, rent for six months before you decide to buy. If you've been going to that location, you know, for three months, a year, for 20 years, you know, then maybe just go go ahead and buy. But If you know you went once or twice, you really liked it, you're considering it for retirement or you want to go down there and live and maybe teach English or work as a digital nomad. These are all things to take into consideration because as you you know, the digital nomad movement is huge right now. It's massive everywhere in the world. Like the number of people who are relocating, and I mean like relocating from North America, the UK, New Zealand and Australia out of those countries is just, and there's as many from other countries that are wanting to go to those countries. It is a massive, massive shift of people because now 
with so many that have the ability to work from quote home exactly we have normalized where. <laughs> virtual the virtual workplace during the pandemic so mm-hmm. it has called has freed up a lot of people to be able to travel and to work and to mm-hmm. um you know stay in mexico you know they they but you got to remember Mexico is cracking down on residency benefits anymore. So they're not just throwing you that 180 visa like they used to do. And, and I think a, a, lot of, a lot of countries are, are doing that. They're, but and there's still there. There's many that just say, you know, if you can prove so much income and that you've had it, absolutely. We'll give you temporary residency. Or, yes, you Mexico know, does as well. You know, and, and they just they just want that proof. So there's they, they're cracking down in, in a way that they want to make sure that they know who's there and they're legally allowed to be there. But in a lot of cases, it's, it's just some paperwork, you know, yeah. and, and, and waiting, patience. Oh, of patience. course, patience, patience <laughs> and paperwork. You couldn't have said it better, patience and paperwork. It, if you don't exactly have those, you're, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yeah, and you know, Mexico at one point in time had as many illegal immigrants, Americans and Canadians, as we had in the United States from Mexico. So, you know, you got to remember, these are people that are owning property, running businesses, but not contributing to the tax system. Right. And that's what the government wants to prevent. Basically, they just want their tax dollars. Yeah. The Mexican government wants us here. They say, come on down. Come spend your money. they want you to do it the right way. That's right. And you should and you should do it the right way because if you do it the right way from the start, you don't have any worries. And exactly. You know, if you look at plane tickets lately, it's not it's not exactly cheap to be flying back and forth every few months. Right now, it is ridiculously expensive to fly anywhere. I have a flight coming up next week, um, and I'm paying triple what I normally would pay. Like it's insane. It's incredible. But hopefully, I mean, hopefully that gets better, but it's also, why do you want to worry? Why do you always want to have that little kind of thing in the back of your head? That's like, Ooh, I I hope I don't get caught or Ooh, I'm I'm doing this wrong. Or this is a little sketchy. I'm I'm staying over my time. Like, yeah. And then it's no worries. I can come and go as I want. Sure. I have to have some paperwork, some patience, but I get it done. And then I just don't even have to worry. I can come and go as much as I want. I can work. I can, you know, do and whatever Mexico, that's legally allowed. You you know, you don't need a lawyer. It's a, it's a common misconception that you need a lawyer to file for temporary residency. You absolutely don't. You do need a Spanish speaker because mm-hmm. if, if you can't navigate the paperwork, which is not, not easy to do, you're going to feel very, very frustrated throughout the process. Mexico right. is very picky. You get you put the wrong date or one, you know, or do the wrong color ink and they won't accept <laughs> the form, like you have to do it again. You used a capital letter when it should have been a small letter. So <laughs> like so I would definitely definitely remember recommend somebody going through the process of temporary residency or permanent residency for the first time have at least an immigration consultant to help Mm -hmm. you and shop around don't just go with the first person there are people out there that are in this game and they charge a lot of money to like secure your residency which is actually a process that doesn't require a lawyer at all it just requires you knowing how to fill out the paperwork in spanish 
Right. And in the right paperwork. So that's always good. But yeah, as you said, either somebody who's been through it, a consultant um, or somebody that you completely trust that speaks Spanish, if you've got a a good friend there or or a colleague, if, if, you know, you're, as you've done, if you were opening a business, if there was a few of of them together. That's definitely a good thing. Otherwise be prepared to have it be a longer process because you're going to make mistakes. Exactly. And you will be, you will be at immigration daily. Like the the first time I redid mine, I think I was there six different times in one week because, you know, requirements change, of course, as you get everything ready, there's always one last thing you need this paper. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So so you you walk in those doors just with the idea that you're going to need to come back. And then when they finally say you don't, you're like, Woo, yes, I did it. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> if you do, that being said, if you do have the money to hire a lawyer, it does streamline the process and it, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of the stress out of it. So I'm not saying don't hire a lawyer by any means. In certain folks' cases, it's actually necessary. Like if you own assets already in Mexico and all that, I would definitely say hire a lawyer to deal with your immigration. But mm-hmm. if you're if you're able and you can speak Spanish or you have someone close to you that speaks Spanish, you can do it on your own. It's just mm-hmm. a, quite a frustrating process. Right. Yeah. So it just everybody has their own, wh- whether they're at, you know, as, as a lot of people say, they either have the knowledge, have the time or have the money. It's going to be kind of usually one one or two of those three things that it, it I, takes to get know, it that's done. That's a great <laughs> way of putting it, Sally. I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, great. Um, let's see. So Cliff, if they, anybody of our listeners want to get in touch with you, they, they decide, you know, we're, we're going to Mexico or another Spanish speaking country. And they they think, you know, I need to get on learning some Spanish and whether yeah. they want to start online, or as I said, if they're going to be in Mexico and they want to come to your school, where can they reach you or, or find you? Absolutely. So our main school is located in downtown Cozumel, Mexico, which is in Quintana Roo, off the coast of Playa del Carmen. Um, uh, we offer online classes in USA, Canada, and we do make exceptions for European countries as well, as long as we can accommodate them on the time schedule. So basically worldwide, but the majority of our clients are um, from the United States or Canada. And you can reach us via Facebook at Amistad Spanish School. That's A-M-I-S-T-A-D, Amistad Spanish School. We also have a website at www.amistadspanishschool.com.mx. And we have an Instagram presence as well. So basically, if you want to reach out to us, you can just hit in the Google search bar, Amistad Spanish School, Mexico. And we should come right up and be able to have access to the website and all of our social media networks. Great. And we'll also put uh, links in the show notes to make it even easier for people so they can they can just go through and just click on it and uh, and get directed right to where you're at. Absolutely. We'd love to have you guys join us and experience Mexico like never before. Excellent. That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Cliff. We really appreciate it. And um, the good, some great points that uh, that you made for, for people to know and, and think about. Um, so thank you again very much. You're very welcome. I'm so happy that I was able to contribute something and I'm excited to hear uh, what the response is. Excellent. Well, I'll definitely let you know. Okay, dokie, Sally. We'll be in touch then. All right. Bye. Okay. Adios.